Hello, and welcome to Birth of Family Church Podcast. We trust that you'll find an encouraging word to strengthen your walk with the Lord. And if you're visiting the area, or if you're looking for a good church home, come check us out at birthedfamilychurch.org. There you can find our location and service times. Thanks again for tuning in. God bless. Amen. Woohoo! All right, well, let's jump in. We started a subject matter last Wednesday on the first on growing up spiritually. So this will be our second installment. We'll see if the Lord wants us to continue after tonight. I don't want to go too far, and yet I don't want to make sure I go far enough. Amen? And the truth that we establish is that every believer begins their life in Christ in the exact same spiritual position as every other believer. Each one of us, through a spiritual birth, that's what Jesus was talking about, that you must be born again. He was talking about our spirit because it was estranged or separated from God in our trespasses and sins. It had to be recreated, not just patched up or renewed or uh, reupholstered, so to speak. No, it, it had to be resurrected and made brand new, and that's what a spiritual birth is. And being born spiritually through salvation, we now have become spiritual babies. Look over here in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and look at verse 2. I'm reading from the King James. He says, as newborn babes. So understand that everyone starts in the same place. When your humanity was born... You, you started in the same place that everybody else that was physically born on the earth, right? A baby. Well, same is true in God's kingdom. Notice he says as newborn babies were to do something. He says to desire. Desire what? The sincere milk of the word. And you and I had to perceive the word of God as being food or nutrition uh, for our spirit man. It's what causes us to grow. Just like natural food for our body causes it to grow, so does the Word of God cause our spirit to grow. So he's telling us to desire that milk so that we may grow thereby. So each one of us has been born into the babyhood stage of spirituality, and the, the, the Bible's clear that every one of us has the responsibility to grow up. Hmm? Did, did you get that? We're to grow up spiritually. We're to grow up out of that babyhood stage. Look here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He says it quite clearly. He says that we should no longer be children. Here in the King James, it says, henceforth be no more children. Every one of us is to grow spiritually. Verse 15 says, to get to that place of growth where we begin speaking the truth or speaking the word of God in love and therefore growing up. Hallelujah. Growing up into or like him. Hallelujah. So that's really 
one of our goals on the earth. It's, it's sad to say that the, the devil has hoodwinked, uh, deceived a lot of believers in thinking that once we're born again, once we have what we say that our ticket to heaven, that, well, then we just start living our life however we want to, and because we, we're all going to go to heaven, right? We, we got Jesus in our heart. But no, Christianity and living and being a part of God's kingdom on earth, he has responsibilities that he's given to us. Now, how many of you know that uh, a baby that's in a home doesn't really add very much to the family in terms of getting the, the household responsibilities done? I, I, I remember when my two boys were real young, and I, as I was grooming them, showing them how to take out the trash, how to chop wood, how to do this and how to do that, I was looking for that day that, that the three of us could get a lot of things done because we all put our hand to it. Well, you know, God has that, that same purpose for us. He wants us to get in there, roll our sleeves up, and be a part of his body on the earth to do his work. And the only way we can get there is to grow up. Amen? Amen? Okay. I, just, I, just, I was just checking to see if you guys are still here. <laughs> it's not just me and the church mouse, right? Who's probably caught in a trap right now. We don't like mice around here. Amen. And so we, we need to grow up. Hallelujah. We, we looked at those three stages. First is babyhood. We just mentioned that. Then it's childhood. And then obviously is manhood or adulthood stages. And so we looked at those first two stages last week. There's no need to go back over that. But if this is your first installment to this study, you've missed a lot of good stuff. And you can get it on the website. You can get it on our YouTube account. You can look at it from our website. It's in some of those locations uh, for 60 days from our website. But if you get on YouTube, I mean, that, that's there forever. Amen. So you can see all of our services. Glory to God. But you can go back, go to that one labeled Growing Up Spiritually. Number one, the numeral one, and uh, you can get caught up in what we talked about last week. Well, let's look at the manhood stage, the spirituality. And this is our goal. Did you hear that? We got a goal. When we begin looking at the, the, the three different attributes of someone who is spiritually mature, this is what we're shooting for. This is our target. This is our goal. And so the, the first attribute, the first characteristic, and these aren't the only characteristics, but just enough so you guys get a hold of what we're talking about. The first characteristic of being spiritually mature as a Christian is that you esteem earthly things lightly. I just wanted to pause right there for effect. You know, we've, we've grown up wanting a lot of things. Right? We, we, we want this, we want this, we want that out of life. And, and there's, those things are, you know, can be a temporary blessing to us. But it really can't be what our goal is. And we can't put earthly things above spiritually things, spiritual things. And so this first thing is we have to begin esteeming earthly things lightly. What do I mean, lightly? Well, we don't let them control us. 
How many of you know that we can be completely consumed with our desires for earthly things, and, and then we're really no spiritual good at that point? Let's look at an example of someone who didn't esteem earthly things above spiritual things. Go on over here to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, and we're going to look at beginning in verse 24, and we're going to talk about Moses. Now you understand that once Moses' mother was able to get Moses uh, to, the, to the Pharaoh, that Moses began growing up in Pharaoh's house. How many of you know that he didn't lack anything while growing up in the Pharaoh's house? He, has, he had prestige. He had all his natural needs met. He, he never went without a meal. He had recognition in the nation of who he was. I mean, he was a star, so to speak. But look here. And look how he was able to esteem earthly things lightly. It says it was by faith. So it had to do with what Moses believed. You see, when we begin esteeming earthly things lightly, we know that the benefit that those earthly things bring us are temporary. Amen. How many you know we're not taking anything with us from this earth when we go home to be with Jesus in heaven? That's, that's kind of like that old joke that you've all heard, but I'm sure you could chuckle maybe one more time. There was this one guy that... Uh, was getting ready to go to heaven and so he decided to pack up a suitcase and you know the angel came to take him up to heaven and he says well come on let's go and he says well no wait a second i gotta pack up some things i want to take some things with me to heaven and uh, so he's he's getting things out of the closet and he's getting things out of his safe and finally the angel asked him he says what are you packing up he says i'm packing up all my gold i'm gonna take all my gold to heaven and the angel looks at him and says, hey, that's, that's just paving in heaven. What are you bringing paving up there for? Amen? You see, <laughs> the value of earthly things will always be dim compared to heavenly things. And the downside to earthly things is they're temporary. Earthly things are temporary. Spiritual things are heavenly. So when... Moses grew when he was in Pharaoh's house. He refused. Look at this. I'm reading from the living. He refused to be treated as the grandson of the king. Well, if he refused to be treated as the grandson of the king, you know, he's uh, forfeiting a lot of benefits. Look at this. But he chose to share ill treatment with God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he thought that it was better to suffer for the promised Christ than to own all the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking forward to the great reward that God would give him. See how he's spiritually mature? He's esteeming that which is eternal while rejecting that which is temporary. 
Verse 27. And it was because he trusted God. See, remember, he did this by faith. He had to do it with what he believed and knew from Scripture. It was because he trusted God that he left the land of Egypt and wasn't afraid of the king's anger. Moses kept on going. It seemed as though he could see God right there with him. So this first attribute of being spiritually mature and not being controlled by earthly things is what Moses did, and he didn't put natural things above spiritual things. Look over here in Matthew 6. Here's a verse of scripture that you know. This is something that you and I all need to practice. And maybe we need to grow to that place where we can practice it. Remember, spiritual growth is a process. Just because I started eating food, food as a baby, how many of you know it took time for my body to, to grow to its fullest and tallest stature and girth and, and all the rest of it? It took a while. Unfortunately, I'm still growing physically. Look here at Matthew 6.31. This is from the Living Bible again. So don't worry at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen or those who are without God or those that don't have a relationship with God? For they take pride in all these things, all these natural things. Therefore, they become concerned about them. Now, this is a powerful statement. It says, but your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well what you need. Man, we're going to look at this a little bit later if we get to it tonight. But we need to have that understanding that before you have a need, God not only knows what it will be, but he's already made provision for you to have it. Ooh, boy, that's something good, isn't it? And he will give them to you if you'll just put him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. Amen. So a mature Christian will, will be seeking spiritual things first, King James says of these verses, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all things shall be added unto you. And so when we do that, when we put God first, all things of this, all things that we have need of in this world will be ours through him. Now, the second characteristic, and again, these, these areas or characteristics of being mature is something that we really need to grow into. They're not just going to fall on us automatically because we have to overcome the, the desires and the perceptions of our outer man. Look at this, number two. We need to have a deadness to censor and to praise. A deadness or to be desensitized to someone who's pointing their finger at you or lifting you up with their praise. Look over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Reading from the living. What about me? Have I been a good servant? Well, 
don't worry over what you think about this or what anyone else thinks. Wow. Wish I had known that in high school. <laughs> there is so much peer pressure in high school where you want to fit in so you start becoming like what other people want you to be like. How I many of you know that doesn't stop there? It's the same thing on the job site. It's the same thing in our, our families. It's the same thing in the world. Paul goes on to say, My conscience is clear. But even that isn't final proof. It is the Lord himself that must examine me and decide. So a mature Christian is not influenced by people. That, that could bring a, a little bit of persecution if you won't conform. There, there is so much pressure right now in today's world to make you be the way the world wants you to be. And if you don't measure up to their, their standards and what they want you to be, did you notice there comes persecution if you don't? It, it's, it's, it's just amazing. And it's, it's, I've, we never have seen this in this uh, world that we live in or in this nation where people can be blackballed. And they'll have nothing to do with you because you ascribe or believe to certain things. A mature Christian is not influenced by people. They are not people pleasers. They are God conscious, not self or other people conscious. I remember when I first learned about this characteristic and uh, when I began to consider that, I saw how easily I was manipulated by people around me. And I'm not saying that these were bad people, but they were, they were people that I was trying to at least be like them so I'd be accepted by them, even as a Christian. Because that's really how we're trained in the world, to be chameleons. We become like those that were around. And we're like one person when we're around the people at work, we're like another person when we're at church. We're like another person we're out when we're out in Walmart. We're another person we're driving the car, and, you know, that can be pretty wild, <laughs> the person we become in the car. Uh, and we become another person, you know, at a family gathering or at a, some kind of a reunion. Why, why? Why are we different in those different environments? Well, because we're conscious of what people think about us. And we want to please them. Well, a mature Christian is not going to be different. He's going to be the same. We want to make sure who we are in church is the same person we are in the workforce or at the fast food restaurant or wherever we go. That's when the inner man is controlling the outer man. The third attribute is... A mature person can recognize when God is working in their life. Let me say that one more time. A mature person has the ability to recognize God at work. 
Now, probably one of the most powerful examples of this is Joseph from the Old Testament. Now, you, you know about Joseph. He's the young child. He's the young child of, of many brothers, and his father really liked him, catered to him, spoiled him. Remember, he got that fancy jacket or robe of many colors. And his brothers, his brothers didn't like the attention that the father was giving him. And then he began to have God speak to him. And God was showing him what his place was going to be in serving God. And when he shared these things with his family, then he became heavily persecuted. You know how they, 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 they were going to kill him. I'd say that's pretty heavy-duty persecution, to be martyred just because of what God's plan is for you in your life. But then they thought that maybe that was a little harsh. Let's just uh, throw him down into this pit. And then finally he was captured, and he, he, there was a process of over 20 years that what God had told him that he was going to do for God's kingdom on the earth never looked like it was going to come to pass. But Joseph stayed the course. He became spiritually mature, recognizing that God, even in his hardship, was still at work in causing what God had called him to do to come to pass. Let's look here in Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, verse 3. Again, I'm sticking with the Living Bible tonight to kind of put it into an easy language to understand. And this is when his brothers came to him, when he was exalted uh, in, in this nation, and he was overseeing uh, the leader's uh, responsibilities. And so his brothers came to him for food because there was a famine back in where he was from, in Israel. And he told his brothers, I am Joseph. And he said this to his brothers. And so he asked the brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't say a word because they were stunned with surprise. Come over here, he said. So they came closer and he said, I am Joseph. I am your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me, for God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. How mature is that? Don't you know Joseph could have just had them hauled off to jail or had their heads cut off for what they did to him? But he saw God at work. He saw how God had got them, had gotten him to that place of influence, that place of Egypt, and caused him to go up in the ranks by things that he did for individuals and got him to this exalted place where he could have a refuge for Israel. Or for Jacob. Oh my goodness. Verse 6. He says, These two years of famine will grow to seven. So God had already showed him how things were going to proceed moving forward. 
during which there will be another plowing and no harvest. God sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you will become a great nation. You see, we would not have a nation for Christ to be born through if it wasn't for Joseph. Staying the course, seeing how God was working, how God, what he promised him would be fulfilled and that he'd be in a place where God would bring all those promises to pass, not just for him, but for the plan of God. Woo! Verse 8. Yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. See, he's recognizing God at work. And he has made me a counselor to the Pharaoh and manager, overseer of this entire nation, ruler of all the land of Egypt. That's powerful. Hallelujah. So Joseph, who spent years in slavery because of his brothers, spent years in prison because of being falsely accused when he helped one of the jailers, and then spent more years in jail when he helped the butler. Apart from all these things that look like God's promise would not come to pass for him, he knew and trusted by faith in what God said to him, and he's kept his eyes on the promises of God and stayed steady and on course. His maturity in the Lord allowed himself to see God through all the struggles of his life. Man, that's good. Because of that, he fulfilled his plan and destiny in God. So we now have enough biblical information to determine where we are in our spiritual development. And you understand that you could be mature in one area and immature in another. We need to work all across the board, all the way across the board, and become mature in all the areas. Does that make sense? And so it would behoove us, it would benefit us if we would be honest. Take a look at these characteristics of each of these levels of growth and judge ourselves. <laughs> Isn't that fun? We did that on Sunday. We judged ourselves at communion. That's something we need to do all the time. You get through something and say, did, did I do that like Christ would have done that? Did I do that like the, the Word instructed me to do that? And really critique ourselves. Because really, if we just give our life free course without any kind of uh, liability or, or accountability, there's no growth. You hear what I said? That, that, that's one of these areas that we have to be working on every day is to grow up and to be more like Jesus every day. And if you're like me, <laughs> we got some work to do. Huh? I said, we got some work to do. I said, I said we got some work to do. Amen? Glory to God. Let's just take a couple more moments get into an area here that I, I think that'd be a blessing. We're talking about growing up spiritually. And probably one of the, the most powerful catalysts to, to growing spiritually is to develop our relationship 
with the Father God. We, we really need to get to know our Father. And once we begin to see him the way he is, it begins to put this, this relationship at a whole other level. It puts it on the level of a, a trust and a knowing that God is there for us. Let's, let's go through this. Let's begin looking at our relationship with the Father, and we can see it through the Word of God. So understand that foremost, first and foremost, the foundation of our faith in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is fellowship. Look over here in 1 John 1, 3. First John chapter 1, verse 3. And this is John speaking in this first letter that he wrote. He says, that which we have seen and heard. So he's saying that as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple, not only being with him in his three and a half years, but also experiencing his death, his burial, his resurrection, also his ascension on high, and after years of ministry, he says, these things which I have seen and heard, I'm declaring or telling them to you. That you may have what? Fellowship with us. And, and who's their fellowship with? And truly our fellowship is who? Is with who? Is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Understand that this word fellowship is talking about a fulfilling relationship with another person. It's you being on the same plane with them so that you can interact with them and they can interact with you. It's fellowship. It's relationship. It's a, a two-way street. Now, this fellowship increases when we, when we know what God is like. And every one of us has to learn this for ourselves. We've been taught so many things from the world that are not true about our Father God and is not true about the Lord Jesus Christ. I can remember growing up, and, and I don't know where I got it from. I don't know if I got it from my classmates. I, I don't know where I got it from. I know I didn't get it from the Internet because it wasn't created yet. I don't know where I picked it up from. But I had this idea that, that if you did something wrong, God was going to get you. And we'd use things like, well, don't do that or lightning will strike you. You know, as if God. Well, we heard about, you know, disasters were right on the news. They would say it's an act of God. And we grew up with a picture of God as him being vengeful that, that, that he'll he's gonna get you if you just just take one step out of line he's gonna get you I can remember even saying I don't go to church because if I went to church the roof would fall in <laughs> well that's somebody that didn't know God that's somebody who didn't know God and more importantly, they didn't know the word of God to know God. 
Look at this. First and foremost, our fellowship and relationship with God is developed when we begin to see that his character is love. And I'm not talking about the ooey-gooey love, you know, that the world has, which is just simply an emotion that comes and goes like Colorado weather. I'm talking about love that's a commitment. Love is that is based on who he is and therefore this is what he does and he doesn't do one for another that he won't do for the other person amen he's no respecter of persons he's the same he says i'm the lord and i change not so here in first first john 4 8 it says here quite plainly that god is love anybody get that tonight his character, who he is, is love. And therefore, that's all he has to give us. All this calamity that I thought God was responsible for, he couldn't do any of that because he doesn't have calamity. He doesn't have death. He doesn't have pain. He doesn't have torment. He can't give us something he doesn't have. That's why it was so important for me to, to find out that there, there was a personal devil. There was a fallen angel that tried to exalt himself above God himself and is at war with God. And we're just pawns down here on the earth that he's trying to influence to come against God and his kingdom. When I found out that the devil and his kingdom was the source of death and the source of pain and the source of torment, the source of war, the source of weather catastrophes, when I saw all that was from that evil, evil fallen realm, it began to answer a lot of questions. Because I stayed away from God for a lot of years because I thought he took my dad. And I wasn't going to serve somebody who took my dad that caused me that pain in life. And then when I found out it was the devil... Man, that, wanted, that just made me want to serve God with all my heart. Do whatever I could to diminish his kingdom and to exalt God's kingdom. Amen. So, I'm sorry I got off on that rant there. <laughs> but we got to make that separation. God's not capable of doing anything on the other side of love. Or that's the opposite of love. It, it just can't happen because that's not who he is. Amen. So, the Bible tells us that he is love. In fact, he cares about each one of us individually. Now, we read this verse from uh, the, the Living, was it the Living Bible? Yeah. Let's read it from the King James, Matthew 6, 31. I want you to see this, and I want you to embrace it. And your mind might have a hard time with this, but if you'll, with your heart, receive it and begin saying it to yourself, it'll make it real to you. In Matthew 6, 31, he says, Therefore, take no thought. That, that expression, take no thought, is the word that we say, don't be anxious or don't be worrisome. Those three English words come from a Greek word that says, don't fret, don't be anxious, and don't worry. Don't express your worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? 
For all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now look at this in verse 32. Your heavenly Father. Now see, we, we have fathers of our flesh. We have fathers of our flesh. Mine was Robert Ariel Conover. He is my father of my humanity, along with Ruth Naomi Laird, my mom. But you know, we also have a heavenly father. Now see, many of us, and I'm talking to someone right here, Many of us have had fathers that weren't good fathers. And that began to cause us to see God in the eyes of our earthly father. Hello? Hey, my earthly father left me. He ditched me through death. How many of you know that my heavenly father will never do that? And we got to be careful that we start looking at our heavenly father through the lens and the filter of our earthly father. And some of us have had great dads. But your heavenly father is even greater than, than him. Amen? Amen? So we got to be thankful for our earthly family, but we need to be our father, but we got to begin seeing in the light of the word what our heavenly father's like. And don't judge him by our earthly one. Now look at this. Look what it says. Your heavenly father knows. How many of you know he's all knowing? <laughs> Cuz he's God. He knows everything. Have you ever hung out with somebody that knew everything? Well, we should be every day hanging with our Heavenly Father. Look at this. He knows that you have need of all these things. Now, God being the Creator God, and he knows what you need before you need it. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he made a way for you to have all those things that you're going to have need of. He made it available for you before you needed it. Can't we use salvation? Can't we use salvation as, as an example of that? He knew that you were going to need salvation before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye. He knew that you had need of a Savior before you were born on this earth. In fact, he provided your Savior for you 2,000 years before you or I existed. Because what? He knows you had need of all these things. So what did he do? He sent his God, or excuse me, he sent his Son in flesh to be our redeemer, to be our mediator, to be our intercessor, to be that one that took our place on the cross. Bared away all that tainted us from this earth 
and then brought us heavenly life to be resurrected and to receive his everlasting life. Amen? That's the kind of father we did. And look at the price he paid to give it to you. He gave you and I his only begotten son. It tells us in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. I don't think that has very much impact saying it that way. The world is so impersonal. How about we say it this way? For God so loved Mick that he gave Mick Jesus. For God so loved Bruce that he gave Bruce Jesus. That's how much he loves you. He provided his only begotten son. No natural man ever did that for us. But God did. For God sent not his son into the world, verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. Tonight, we need to embrace that God loves me. God loves you. God loves the unlovables that have yet to receive him. And when we begin seeing life through that lens, we know that God will never let us down. That God will always provide. And if we'll follow him, if we'll, if we'll tune our ear to his voice and to his word and to the Holy Spirit that lives in us, he'll show us how to get that provision that he's already provided for us. Amen. So, Father, we thank you tonight for showing us that we need to grow. And you've made a way for us to grow. You've given us your word. You've given us anointed teaching. You've given us so many different ways that we can get the word of God in us and that we can grow spiritually and we can walk in the light of that word and grow. Out of that babyhood stage, out of that childhood stage and into maturity. And we're so thankful that as we begin to see that we can grow in our relationship with you, yes, we're your children, yes, we're on our way to heaven, but we can grow in terms of knowing you more intimately. Having the, the reality and the trust in you that you got us. That no matter what happens, your resources are available to us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You're with us today, tomorrow, and forever. So tonight we accept your love. Tonight we accept your fellowship. Tonight we accept 
that we're walking with you through this life with your assistance, with your guidance, with your provision. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming out tonight. It's always good to be in church with all you guys. Amen? All right, so we'll see you next time. You are blessed of the Lord. Amen?